Well, as we, uh, as we continue on our service, uh, I wanted to read from God's Word uh, before we jump in. But, but before I do that, um, if you are newer to Christ Community, you may not know this. If you've been around Christ Community, you know that we are deeply committed to what we would call the, the value of next-generational leadership. And, and one of the ways that we strategically kind of live out that value is through a program we call the Pastoral Residency. And the pastoral residency is something that God kind of put on our hearts as a church. Uh, back in June of 2005, we started this program where we bring on staff to seminary graduates from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, um, and they serve for two years um, as pastor- pastors um, in one of our campuses. And, and the, the design behind this is really to function like a medical residency where there's experience, there's training, uh, so that we might be able to prepare them and send them out uh, to love and bless and serve the church and the communities of the they find themselves in. Uh, and so to date, we've had over 25 uh, residents that have completed the, uh, the program, and it truly is one of the ways that we as a church seek to give ourselves away. Uh, it is really hard to bring in these wonderful men and women and then send them out uh, because we form relationships with them, we love them, and so it is hard to, to see them go, but, but it's one of the things we believe that the church ought to be, a multiplying institution, uh, blessing those not just within our walls but beyond our walls. And so uh, I wanted to let you know that this summer we brought on two new residents, uh, to join our pastoral staff, and we have some pictures of them, I think. Uh, Darren Lund uh, is at our Leewood campus. Henry Thompson is serving at our Brookside campus, and they join our current residents. Uh, Naya Cuevas is at Shawnee Mission, and our own Jonathan Neef, uh, who's here at Olathe. Uh, and so th- this, this pastoral residency, again, is a great tool for us as a church uh, to invest in next-generational leaders, to prepare these leaders to go into the places God has called them that they might, as we just shared, equip people, the saints, to know that God is at work in and through their work. And so, and this residency program, it it exists in so many reasons, but one in particular is the generosity of our church. And so when you give to Christ Community, you you are giving towards this initiative, this pathway that truly is preparing leaders beyond the walls of Christ Community. We want to give ourselves away, and this is one way we do that. So, uh, and and this morning we have the joy of hearing from our friend, our brother, our pastor, Jonathan Neef. Sorry for clapping so loud right in front of my mic. I should never do that again. Uh, But it is a joy to have him. If you've not met Jonathan, you should. Uh, He's been with us for over a year and a half now, and we have him for about another year. And so it is a joy to have him with us as he opens God's word. So, uh, so thankful to you all for your investment in in him and Hannah and their daughter, Claire, uh, but also in the residency program that that truly has benefits that we we don't see and that doesn't directly benefit us. Uh, So thank you for that. So with that said, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word uh, as we hear from the Lord from Acts chapter 18. Hear the word of the Lord. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he, referring to Paul, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, "'Your blood be on your own heads.'" I just lost my place. I apologize. Your your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next to the door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. 
And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Reed. It's, uh, it truly is a joy and a privilege to be here, to be a part of the residency, to see the, way the, the ways that you guys uh, love me and my family and have cared for us so well. I just truly am grateful for you, so thank you. Um, it's a privilege to be speaking this morning also. If, if you're new with us or if you haven't been here the past few weeks, we're in the book series on the book of Acts, studying what does it look like to be sent? What does it look like to be on mission? And specifically, we're looking at the life of the Apostle Paul and the early church and how they carried out that mission given by Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations. But as we think about that and what does it look like to be sent, I can't help but confess to you that it often feels a little bit overwhelming, right? I mean, here's Paul, this this great apostle going out and preaching and teaching and involved in a synagogue and going around the world and, and often being beaten, hurt for his faith, and yet here I am in Kansas. So what, is it, what does it look like for me? How am, I, how am I supposed to compare to Paul? How am I supposed to carry out this mission of being sent? It, it feels overwhelming, and I'm not really sure how to do it. And as I've wrestled and thought about that, I'm wondering if maybe some of you feel the same way. Um, as believers, we're called to be sent if we put our faith and trust in Jesus. So how do we live as ones who are sent and ones who are sent on mission? What does that look like? And My prayer this morning is as we look at today's text, we could have some practical and tangible tools to kind of hang our hat on and learn what does it look like to be on mission. So that's my my hope this morning, and I'd love to begin um, in prayer. Would you pray with me? Lord, I begin by confessing my own inadequacy. Lord, I thank you that you're the one on mission, and I get to be a part of that. So right now, I pray for your spirit to be at work in our hearts, that we might hear the word of God, and that our hearts might be changed. Amen. Well, if uh, you guys hear the word sent or mission, I'm going to use them kind of interchangeably. They mean the same thing. In fact, mission comes from the Latin root that meant to be sent. So what does it look like to be sent or to be on mission? And what is this mission? And again, this mission is uh, given by, by Jesus, that all who are followers of Jesus go and make disciples of all nations. That's the mission that we have been given. And I want us to hear this morning, there are three things amidst that mission that I think that we can do. The first is that mission is wherever you are. Mission is wherever you are. You heard uh, Reed uh, reading this morning from Acts chapter 18, and as he was going along, he talked about Paul, who who has left Athens, and now he's moved to this new city of Corinth. Corinth is a thriving and booming city. At one point, it was rivals with with Athens, but now it's kind of taken over, and it's the dominant city. Very prosperous, very well-to-do. A lot of people come in and out of Corinth. And Corinth is also known for a lot of sexual promiscuity. So it's, it's a, it is a complex place. And this is where Paul goes on his journey. And as he goes there, he runs into two people, Priscilla and Aquila. And, they, uh, and he joins them and he spends time with them. Why? Because they have the same trade. They have the same skills. They are tent makers by trade. Okay, tent makers. Trying to think through what that is. Well, maybe we could understand tent makers as an idea of it's like a leather worker. 
um, tents were often made out of leather. So it's saying they have, they're kind of artisans. They're skilled craftsmen. They use their hands to create things out of leather. Um, specifically, oftentimes, would be tents. So Paul is joining Priscilla and Aquila. They've kind of maybe got their own entrepreneurial business of tent making. And he said, hey, I want to join you. I want to work there. And it's been helpful for me because I thought to myself, well, I know what Paul does, you know, one day a week when it says on the Sabbath he goes and he teaches and proclaims, um, trying to persuade people that Jesus is the Christ. But what about those other days of the week? What does he do then? And this text gives us insight of what Paul does. He's a tent maker or a leather worker, and he does that with Priscilla and Aquila. And I have a confession to make to you. When I used to read this text, I used to think to myself, oh, okay, so Paul kind of has this job of junior varsity work of tent making, so that he can then go and do the varsity work of jumping in and being a, a pastor or a preacher. That was the mindset I had, and I'm, I'm sad to see how, how wrong and how harmful that view can be, because that's not what we get from the text. That's not how Paul describes it. Paul would describe his work as a tent maker as missional. He would say that's part of him being on mission. And we see that Paul has a full view of what the gospel is. Because the gospel, yes, is preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. But the gospel is also working to renew and to restore communities and people through the work that they do. That is what Paul is working on here. And I think it was so important for Paul to to emphasize that. We're going to see more of it in our text. But I think it's also important for us to be able to remember that that mission is wherever you are. And as we think about this, um, it's actually not a change, like something we've just come upon. This is something that the author Luke has been doing all throughout the book of Acts. Even if you think of some of the examples of the people that we've read about so far, um, because we see people like the centurion, or Lydia, or the eunuch, or the Philippian jailer. These are all people who heard the good news about Jesus became a follower of Jesus, and then decided to remain in their vocation, in their sphere of influence, as mission to continue to spread the good news. And so I think that it's important for us to see that the Holy Spirit is the one who's alive at work, using people's resources, and for the sake of the entire community around them, in which they turn and witness, turns as a witness to the gospel. So we see Paul as a as of someone who is focused on being on mission wherever he is. It reminds me of a story. Uh, when I was in se- seminary, I was working as a window washer. I started a window washing business and called it Painless Windows. My attempt at a pun, but I digress. And so as I worked at Painless Windows and washing windows, I sadly still had this, this poor view of work and theology. And I would thought to myself, I'm simply working washing windows, trying to, as a, as a means to an end, so that then I can become a pastor and do real work. And I didn't see the beauty of what my work was doing then and there. I missed out on the fact that by doing good work, I was helping to care for these shop owners by making their windows look good so their business could thrive and flourish. They might be able to care for the needs of the community around them and help promote flourishing there and provide for their families. I also missed out on the relational aspect of being friends with these people and and interacting. and, And I missed out on so much because of my poor view. And my hope this morning is even as I talk that you would learn from my mistakes And that you'd be able to see your work and how it has value in it and of itself and how it's helping to restore the kingdom and its missional work. Mission is wherever you are. And it's one of the things I'd love for us to hear. And honestly, that's even part of what was helping, um, helpful for me hearing part of Chelsea's story and her being able to verbalize how her work was able to care and meet people in their time of need. But then she also trusted them and gave them over to Jesus later um, after they left and she was no longer caring for that need. 
The other thing I want to highlight as, as Paul is kind of at work here is I want to highlight the relational aspect of this work. It's wherever he is, but it's also relational. It's almost like you could imagine with me for a little bit Paul working with Priscilla and Aquila, right? Getting up early. Um, I, bet one of, I bet one of them was almost always late, right? Probably early morning rider and he wasn't or she wasn't. And I bet one of them was always losing their tools. And maybe another one was, I bet, I bet you they loved Falafel Fridays, right? If you've ever had a falafel, you know what I'm talking about. Probably pretty good. Or maybe imagining some of their conversation with each other, right? I mean, do you think they talked theology? I'm sure Priscilla and Aquila got tired of Paul talking theology, right? I mean, it's the Apostle Paul. But maybe, maybe they talked about what it was like being a refugee, right? They had to leave their, homes, their home country from Rome, and they had to come here. They'd been displaced. Or maybe they talked about missing their family or this new culture. There's one thing I can almost assuredly say they talked about, and that is their work, Right? I mean, how did you get this seam to line up so well? How did you stretch that leather that way? Can you, can you teach me how to do that? I'm sure that they were talking about work, learning from each other. Because Paul, he didn't view his work as a tent maker, as second class to the work he did on the synagogue. He viewed it, all of it as missional. Tent making was part of his mission. And here's, here's my point with this. That being sent, being on mission, it is relational work. God made us for community. He made us to know others and to be known by others. He doesn't give us a step-by-step plan of, well, here's what it looks like to go on mission. Do A and then proceed to B. No, he does it by saying, wherever you are, whoever you're with, that's your mission. That's what you are called to do. So let me ask, maybe by way of application, do you view your work, again, whether that's paid or unpaid, maybe in the home or outside the home, but whatever it is that you do with your time, do you view that work as missional, as part of the mission field? Now, not just in the chance that this is an opportunity to share the gospel, but by a chance of living out the gospel and helping to restore all things and make this world a better place, that is mission. Being, on, being in relationship with other people, that is mission. So I know this is challenging for myself, and so I thought here are maybe some helpful questions that we could think through to help us kind of put into context our work and how it matters. I'm going to ask them here. What would the world be like if no one did what you do? What would the world be like if no one did what you do? And in light of this, how is God using you in your vocation to serve and to love your neighbor? How does your work contribute? And are there ways that you can continue growing and learning how to love and how to serve your neighbor? Perhaps those questions can be helpful as you try and think through your work. Second, I would love for us to be intentional with the relationships that we have. Specifically, I'm thinking of vocational mentoring. I'm convinced the one thing we need more of in learning us how to do our work better is vocational mentoring. We need people who are a step ahead of us, who are are able to help us know how to work within the areas we spend a majority of our time. I mean, personally, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to be a part of the pastoral residency. I wanted to learn. Granted, if I'd known Reed was going to be my boss, I might have reconsidered. Oh, hey, Reed. Um, anyway, moving along. But, but seriously, I really wanted, I wanted to learn from others and see how, what does it look like to be a pastor and how to try and do that well. And third, I think we need to be more intentional with the relationships that we have in general. Maybe it's to take time at work and have lunch with somebody instead of just continuing to be productive, right? Maybe it's asking somebody you know their story and hearing from them. Or maybe it's taking time to listen to one of your classmates at school when they're having a bad day. 
Maybe it's being uh, a mentor mom at Mops and jumping in and learning how to help in that regard or having a lonely colleague over um, on a holiday when they don't have a place to go. Or maybe it's just teaching your kids how to do something for themselves rather than doing it for them. That is missional work. Now, I could preach an entire sermon on this point, um, but the text does not stop here, so therefore we're not going to stop here either. We're going to keep moving. Yes, it is true that mission is wherever you are, but mission is also dependent upon God. It is dependent upon God. I'd love to read the following verses in um, Acts chapter 18, verses 9 through 11 to kind of illustrate this, starting in verse 9. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So Paul stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Did you hear those, those four words that God said to Paul, I am with you. There's so many beautiful things I'd love to talk about from that phrase, but we're going to touch on just a few. One, I hope we see that it is the Spirit of God who is alive and at work, right? Mightily leading, guiding, directing Paul. How does Paul know what to do for this mission of being sent? Well, the Spirit is at work, leading him. And that is actually something, a very important point to notice, because the main character of the book of Acts is not Paul, it's not Peter, it's not even Jesus. The main character of the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. In fact, the word Acts stands for the actions or deeds of the Holy Spirit done through the apostles. The Holy Spirit is the one who is alive and at work, acting and bringing about this mission of God. And the Spirit is using people like Paul or Peter or Priscilla and Aquila or Crispus or refugees or slaves or women of prominence or centurions or beggars, temple leaders, anyone and everyone The Spirit is the one who is alive and at work using them. I hope you see that, that the Holy Spirit is the one on mission here. But I hope you also see that Paul realizes the mission does not depend upon him. Look at verse 6. It says, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. Kind of a weird thing to say, Paul. Right? What's going on here? Well, this is actually a quote from Ezekiel chapter 33. It's a mention of what was known as the watchman. In the ancient times, you'd have a city, and there's a city walls to protect the people, and you'd have a watchman who stands on top of the city walls, and he's there to, go, to see if the enemies are coming. And if the enemy is approaching, then he was to sound the alarm and warn the people, and then they would defend themselves. And if anyone died during that attack, it's not the watchman's fault. He did his job. He's innocent. If, however, he didn't do his job, and he didn't sound the alarm, and the enemy came and attacked, and anyone was to die, that watchman was held accountable. They were then killed for not doing their job and allowing others to die. There's some accountability there. So what's, why does Paul mention that quote? What's, what's going on? Well, he is saying he is innocent. He has done what God has asked him to do. Paul is not responsible for whether or not people respond to the message. Paul is simply responsible to be faithful, to present and proclaim the message. And isn't that a relief? It's not Paul's job to be perfect or to present the perfect argument or to say the perfect things in the city of Corinth so that everyone believes. That's not his job. Rather, God says that many in this city will come to believe, and that's God's work. That's the Spirit's work. Paul doesn't have to perform. He just has to be faithful. Faithful for what God has asked him to do. Therefore, Paul is able to be a tent maker. 
Paul's able to, to preach in the synagogues. He's able to do this work, build relationships, tell others the good news, and then rest because he knows it's not up to him, it's up to God. Again, very similar to what we heard, I think, Chelsea share this morning. She does her work. She interacts with them on the phone. She shares with them and cares for them in those moments of crisis and pain as best she can. And then she lets them go. And she trusts that God will do the rest and God is with them all the time. That's what we see Paul doing as well. And then I love this next part in our passage because it goes on to illustrate this so well. Starting in verse 12, it says, But when Gallio, the proconsul of Achaia, uh, was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul, and they brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. I love seeing that right there. Paul doesn't even open his mouth. Paul doesn't have to convince the tribunal. He doesn't have to like say the perfect thing. He doesn't have to try and do the perfect thing or persuade. Paul doesn't open his mouth, yet God does the work. And I, I would love to try and apply this for ourselves. Again, this, an entire sermon could be made off of just this point alone of us being dependent upon God. The mission is dependent. But I'd love to think through a couple things for ourselves of how we can, how we can apply this. The first is, I think we need to find tangible ways to remind ourselves that the mission, the work that we do, is dependent upon God. You and I are not responsible for being a witness who must save our family members or our neighbors or our children or our classmates or our coworkers. The mission isn't up to you and it's not up to me. The results of the mission are up to God. So we don't have to be perfect. We just have to be faithful. So maybe a question along those lines is, uh, in a similar line is, have you felt God's calling amidst your work? Again, work is whether it's paid or unpaid, uh, in the home or out of the home, the things that you do, the area that you have influence, if you felt God's calling there, because that's part of what helps Paul remain and continue in what he is doing, because he's aware of God's calling. But maybe to clarify, calling, first and foremost, is the fact that God is calling each one of us into relationship with him. That's your primary calling, to be in relationship with Jesus. And for those of you who have a relationship with Jesus, your secondary calling, that's your vocation. That's your, that's your work, the things that you spend your time doing. And have you felt God's calling in that area? And if so, can you find some tangible ways to remind yourself of that? For some of you, maybe that's writing out a Bible verse and putting it on a sticky note at home above the sink or at work in the desk. Um, or maybe it's coming up with a picture that reminds you that you're dependent upon God amidst your mission and your mission is wherever you are. Or maybe, maybe it's something else, a, a symbol or whatever. But find something that can help you remember we're dependent upon God for our mission. And finally, if you're, faith, if you're being faithful and you're doing the work you're called to do, I would love for you to be able to take the pressure off. Just like Paul, can you realize that the results are up to God? They're not up to you. For me, I often find myself thinking, if I just try harder, work harder, spend more hours, do this, then I can produce the results that I want. And that's not true. I've been told and I've uh, heard it said, I must learn to work as if it's up to me, but rest as if it's up to God. How many of you need to take a rest? How many of you need to stop striving and working so that you can rest in the fact that God is in control of these results? 
Regardless of what it might be, I would hope to be able to see that we can, re- can leave the results of our mission up to God and be dependent upon God. So we have a lot here. We've learned that mission is wherever we are, whatever we're doing. We've also learned that our mission is dependent upon God. But I think there's a third thing that our text goes on to show us in the following verses. And that is that mission is a movement and not a moment. Mission is a movement and not a moment. Now, hopefully this uh, third point sounds a little bit like repeat from things that we have been saying throughout this sermon series. Um, But that is where the text goes. That's where we're going to continue to go. Because Paul, on his missionary journey, as he goes out being sent, he goes out and he tries to make disciples, leaders, and churches. He seeks to multiply these things because he knows he needs to build something that will outlast himself. He needs the institution of the local church to continue to produce and be about a movement rather than just a single moment or a single person. So the text helps us see this. And how they do that is they have Paul. He was in Corinth. He leaves Corinth. But as he leaves, he takes Priscilla and Aquila, his co-laborers with him, and um, he goes to the city of Ephesus. We're going to talk a lot more about Ephesus next week, but he's there for a little bit of time, and then Paul actually leaves. And he leaves Priscilla and Aquila to be leaders of the local church there, to care for others. And Paul leaves and goes back to the sending church, Antioch. And the text does this for a reason. Um, a couple reasons, but one is they're trying to take the focus off of Paul. He's completed what's often known as his second missionary journey, and then they're going to come back and focus on the, uh, those who are still at work and say, but the mission does not stop when Paul leaves and goes. The mission continues on through these other people, and I'd love to read because that's what kind of sets us up. The fact that the Holy Spirit is alive at work, even when Paul is gone, the Holy Spirit uses other characters in the story, and one of those characters is the character of Apollos, who we're going to read about now starting in verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught to the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Did you notice Priscilla and Aquila, again in our story, have been here a lot. But they are there. Paul has multiplied leaders, now Priscilla and Aquila, they are there caring for the church. And they multiply further leaders by taking Apollos under their wing. And let's be honest, Apollos sounds like a Christian rock star, right? I mean, the guy's amazing, eloquent, competent, convincing people right and left. Like, this guy's a stud. And yet we see him that he still needs help. He doesn't have a complete view of the gospel. So Priscilla and Aquila take him aside and gently instruct him in order to strengthen those things. And there's, there's several things going on here, but I'd love to, I'd love to touch on a couple One is the humility of Apollos. It's obvious, again, that he's a rock star, knows what he's doing, but yet he is humble enough to receive that correction from Priscilla and Aquila. And a very important highlight here, it says Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla is the woman. Aquila is the man. Yet Priscilla's name comes first. And the text is doing this in other places as well, but highlighting the fact that she is the one who is instructing Apollos according to the scriptures. 
This would have been very unprecedented and unheard of in that time, but yet we have a woman teaching the man how to understand the scripture more accurately. And yet Apollos is humble enough to learn and to receive it. And we also see, um, and continued along there with after Apollos' humility, we also see that this is exactly how missions that are movements and not moments are supposed to work. Again, Paul mentors Priscilla and Aquila, takes them to Ephesus. They're, they're in charge of the church. Paul leaves. Apollo shows up, Priscilla and Aquila mentor and care for Apollos. And then Apollos leaves and goes back to Corinth, where they were originally, and he is the leader of the church in Corinth. So we continue to see that people who invest in other leaders and continue to grow in this, in this, um, this pathway, that that is part of a movement that will outlast any single person. This, this mission is so much bigger than Paul. You see, they caught the vision that God has for the local church in the world. It's not to create a group of people who are united around a shared religious moment. Rather, it is a family that is empowered and sent out to be part and to bring peace to this broken world. There is no way Paul could do this on his own. The mission of God is so much bigger than Paul. I also want to highlight here the relational aspect of what's going on. Remember, as we multiply disciples and leaders and churches, we see that this was done through relationships. Paul spent time, over a year and a half at least, with Priscilla and Aquila as tent makers. That relationship and vocational mentoring had been formed. And it's through that relationship that they were able to make, be disciples that go on to create and make other disciples. Okay, a lot there. But how does this apply to us? What does this look like? Well, I think that we need to be doing the exact same thing. We need to be mentored or discipled by somebody a step ahead of us, and we need to be investing in others who are a step behind us. Now, maybe that makes you kind of cringe a little bit as you hear step ahead or step behind, and it sounds like it's a comparison or something. But I think that what's happening there is we're failing to remember what is so important about mission, and that is that we don't have anything to offer on our, on our own. I'm sorry, excuse me. It's the Holy Spirit that has something to offer through us. We tend to think that we don't have anything to offer, but that's because we think it's about us. It's not about us. It's about the Spirit who works through us to bring about change. The other problem I think that we run into is we tend to think, yeah, well, maybe I don't have anything to learn from that person. But that is not the attitude or the approach that we saw Apollos take. Again, remember his humility, his teachability, can you imagine what would have happened if Priscilla and Aquila had come to him and he said, I don't want to learn from you? Or can you imagine if Priscilla and Aquila hadn't had the courage to say, we have something to offer him, even though he's so gifted and competent in the things that he's doing? Because it's not about us as individuals. It's about the Holy Spirit who is alive and at work through us to accomplish the mission of God. So let me challenge you with this. Who are people you admire that you can learn from? And who are people that you can invest in? Who are people you admire that you can learn from? And who are people that you want to invest in? Let me give you some ideas, because I would love for you to walk away today with some names and to actually think about how to put this into practice. This doesn't have to look like a formal three-year mentorship where you ask someone to meet you every week, read your Bible every day, meet for coffee, and discuss anything and everything, right? What about something like similar to what um, we saw Paul do with Priscilla and Aquila? where there was some vocational mentoring that occurred. Maybe you can find someone at your work and ask to grab lunch with them and say, I would love to learn from you how you manage teams, how you care for the systems that oversee what's going on, or how you work with such diligence. 
Or maybe there's a couple here at the church and you admire their marriage and you'd love to ask them a question about how they have a work-life balance or how they care for their kids in this way. You may ask them to come over for dinner and ask them a specific question. Or maybe you're a student at school and you see a younger student and you think, I want to take an interest in care for that person. Learn their name. Ask them questions. Be interested in them. Be intentional to say hello and to help that student feel a part of what is going on. My point is this, that we are humble enough and teachable enough to be a part of a movement rather than a moment. And to be a part of a movement, we need to be being invested in by others, and we need to invest in others, right? It's, it goes both ways there. We need this model to help us be a part of, some, of people who invest in us and who we also invest in. I'd love for you to take a moment now, if any names have come to mind, maybe even write that name down. Someone you admire who you'd love to ask a question, learning how to do your work better, or care for your marriage better, or be a better student. And I'd also love for you to think of maybe a name of someone who you can show an interest in and invest in. If not right now, maybe later today, or maybe throughout the coming days, pray about it and see if something, someone comes to mind. I've given a lot of information here this morning and a lot of the application, hopefully, on how to see mission as wherever we are and is dependent upon God and about a movement and not a moment. But I would hate for you to walk away from this morning and to think to yourself, okay, well, I just need to try harder because that is not what I want you to hear. Remember, I started off this morning by saying, I feel inadequate. I often feel overwhelmed because this mission is too big for me and I don't know how to do it and do it well. And I need to remind myself and I'm wondering if maybe you need the same reminder again of just the point two that we made. Mission is dependent upon God. It isn't up to me to preach the perfect sermon or to say the perfect thing or to do things perfectly. It's up to me to be faithful. I'm responsible to do my part and God is in charge of the results. And I just can't help but think of how God knew and started this mission long ago. And he knew I wouldn't be able to do it on my own, that you wouldn't be able to do it on your own. And so he loved us enough to send Jesus. And Jesus loved us enough to die on the cross for us and raise again from the dead. And Jesus loved us enough to also leave and let the Holy Spirit come to be the one who works through and empowers us to be a part of this mission. And because of that, we can rest in the fact that Jesus is able to say, mission accomplished. I want you to rest in that fact that Jesus has paid it all and it's all to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he has washed it white as snow. It is because of the finished work of Jesus that we, and the power of the Holy Spirit, that we have the opportunity to join in on this mission. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for, I thank you for the example of Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila, Apollos. Lord, the fact that you are about a movement and not just an individual. Lord, I thank you for the reminder that our work is matters in the ways that we proclaim the gospel and also in the ways that our work lives out the gospel and helps restore all things and care for our neighbors and our, the people around us. Lord, I need those reminders. Lord, I thank you most of all, though, for the fact that Jesus has come and that it's not up to me. Lord, I pray that I would be encouraged and that the, we would be encouraged to join in on this mission, knowing that it's something we get to be a part of because of what you have done for us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.